Careful now. Quack, 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 quack. Oh. Oh. Boing. So cool to be playing vinyl. Vinyl. Took the record off the turntable. You ready for this? Welcome to Behind the Vinyl. Here's your host, Stu Jeffries. Hello and welcome to Behind the Vinyl. I'm Stu Jeffries and this is the podcast that has some of your favorite artists drop the needle on their record and give us the stories that go with the song. Coming up, Dennis DeYoung of Sticks and how he didn't expect one of the band's biggest songs would be a hit. I was, I was just noodling around. I wasn't thinking about writing a song to be heard by anyone other than my wife. First, Ivan Doroschuk of Men Without Hats with the story behind Safety Dance and how it was the clubs that made the song huge. Funny thing about Safety Dance is it wasn't even the first single off the... Uh, off the album, we released another. We released. I got the message first, and uh, and then Safety Dance second. And it was only when the remix, when the when the twelve inch remix of uh, Safety Dance hit number one on the Billboard Dance Chart, that the whole thing exploded and was re-released and and did what it did. But we were we were in studio making another record. We were happy that it had been gone to number twelve in Canada. It was great. But the, the combination of the, of the 12-inch remix and the video was, was made, what made this song stand out. I think the fact that people, people were expecting a real new wave techno-looking band and they got the Peter Pan instead, I think, created quite a stir in the, in the new wave community and uh, certainly changed my life. logo too. <laughs> Served me well. Yeah, I'm still in touch with, with quite a few of the people who made that video too. Mike, who played the little person, and uh, Louise, who played the crazy girl. He's still making movies, and she's the editor of Cosmopolitan in in the UK. So, they're still around. Song was really written about me getting, after I got kicked out of a bar in Ottawa too, I got kicked out for for pogoing to to the B-52s, I think, Rock Lobster. It was dying days of disco. I got kicked out of the bar and went home and wrote this. And I think it's a, a message that kids still want to hear today. Glee did a really great job of it. And yeah, it is safe to dance. Ivan Doroschuk and Men Without Hats with Safety Dance on Behind the Vinyl. I'm Stu Jeffries with Dennis DeYoung of Sticks coming up in just a second. First, Barry Harris and Kevin Wynn of ConCan. Talk about I Beg Your Pardon and how it was limited technology that gave the song one of its most fun moments. Oh, I hear the phone. Two, cha-cha-cha. One, two, cha-cha-cha. Three, four, <laughs> cha-cha-cha. Dun, 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 dun. Here we go. That, the, um, that was one of the original ideas. I, for some reason, I was very Latin 
influenced at the time. That's where it's got that one, two, cha-cha-cha. Combined with another influence, and I don't even know if you knew that, the, the ah, freak out. Yeah, I yes, want, yeah, but yeah, I want yeah, to. Yeah. I want to make that ah a lot bigger than that. So that's what that is. And I, I, I remember that first day when I came in to do the vocal. Mo had called me from Tom's studio. Um, just said, "Hey, there's this guy Barry <laughs> working on a song, working on a song with Tom, and uh, he's looking for vocals. And they thought of me because." Apparently, they thought I would work with this, and yes, and you have that droney. <laughs> sounds oh, thank like you. I'm going to die. No, any minute now. But but that was the sound. That was the flavor. Yeah, wanted, we wanted that that droney New Order type vibe voice on top of happy music, and that's like really sad lyrics, but on top of happy music. Yeah, yeah. So there's that contrast. And if I remember right, there was a few different guys that tried. Doing this, and yes. Wasn't it? Wasn't it? Was me. Wasn't it? Oh yeah. Wasn't you didn't it, know that. No. I think you had told me that at some point in yeah. the past. But wasn't it? Uh, wasn't it Shepherd? That no. kind of went. It was because I also worked at the record store because I DJed as well. So I knew him well, and I, I I would come back to the on. We went to Hamilton on the weekends to make the song, and you sang it. And then, and I sang a version, and I played him on cassette. I said, "Which vocals do you like better?" He goes, oh, "I like that one." I was like, "Oh, okay, well that's Kevin." <laughs> so, <laughs> so I went back so and I, me, I sang it me. again differently. Oh yeah. And I brought it back to him. I said, "So what do you think? Which which vocal do you like better this time?" I tried a different guy. I lied to him because I knew I, he never did know that it was me about that I know of. And he's, "Nah, I still like the other vocalist better." Oh, okay. So, so that's I won. you yeah. won. <laughs> no. Yeah, and you know, you know the reason why it goes la 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 shouldn't be. I remember because the the sample didn't fit. <laughs> it didn't fit. It didn't it fit. fit. So it became such a, it's this quirky thing in the song that people loved, I but know. it was only because I the know. sample didn't it was fit. Like an so we had to. Hook in we had, and I remember you standing there on the keyboard going la 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 la. Had to fill in that hole so, because we had to stretch it out just that little bit. Love and a bit of melancholy. Come along. Yeah. So the, the little echo there was, um, was the technology accidental, the but it ended up working. And uh, and then all of a sudden, what it was uh, uh, Mark from Atlantic. Remember when he he came up and was buzzing around Star Sound, and and right. the song right. got played for him. Well, this uh, is originally on the on the the store owned the label. That's so right. I went yeah. in with them and I said I want to make a record, and they were going to support me and they helped me with, when we were going to put this out. And that's where it came out on this original label before Atlantic discovered it. And yeah, and then when when Mark heard it, and then I guess that's where sort of the snowball started rolling downhill. Oh, then it just went to a whole new level. And. Now, I remember I had that little, 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 that, that in my head from the beginning. And I wanted the biggest drums ever, like the 80s. And I think they are one of the biggest drums ever. <laughs> and the whole dun, 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 dun. That was a total last minute afterthought. That was one of the last things at the very, very end. I just had those lyrics and you sang them. And I went, oh, you got a little hole here. Don't do it. Oh, okay. That kind of, what the hell. Just go with it. Oh, and there's the end. Oh, sorry. Wow, we got through it that fast. <laughs> I know there's not. Yeah. There's a lot of there's a lot of fun stuff though. But uh, what a, what a what a great ride it was for a couple of years. Oh yeah, and uh, continues sort of to this day. I think. 
My favorite story, I've got two favorite stories over. I'm going to keep going on anyway. My favorite story, my two favorite stories. Okay. Is the Number one, one. We, we did the all ages in Texas. And this sounds kind of brutal. It kind of sounds mean, but it was really, it was so funny. I never forgot about it. We were singing along. That's, and, um, a girl grabbed your microphone and all of a sudden you stopped singing. I was turned around, I was like, what? She grabbed the microphone because he was up above and it landed on her head. I, <laughs> I, I don't remember that. And I remember seeing this little microphone grill on her head. <laughs> oh my God. I felt so bad, it was I, so awful. I don't remember that. I remember one thing about that show though, our very first ever live show. How about this for a little oh, bit yeah, of trivia? That one. Yeah. Our opening act that night, New Kids on the Block. Yeah. Our, our record up for was us. bigger than theirs. <laughs> <laughs> At the time. At the time. But I'll trade but, careers now. Yeah, I'll trade <laughs> I'll trade them now. Yeah. Yeah, that, that was fun. That was pretty that was pretty outrageous. I remember hearing um, was it Jordan? Jordan that did the uh, sound check and he did you make me feel brand new oh. I was like wow that guy ever sang like ahead of everybody else he did the mic check for all of them and I was like wow that was really good and I if I'm not mistaken that's where you got your first little set of flip-up glasses May, well it was the times it was did I really it was one Around of them then? that left them in the dressing room real I oh. remember that you pilfered them. Did I? <laughs> Did I? I took one of the new kids in the yes, I yeah, Well, I, I don't remember, remember that. that. Yeah. Well, there you go. <laughs> Uh-oh. Well, this I mean, dead. even to this day, um, you know, I still get texts from friends that say, heard your song today. And mm. so, thank you, May. <laughs> I know she plays it quite often on her show. Yeah, and thanks everyone and at Boom, too. Thanks, this has Boom. Been a lot of this fun. has been fabulous. Yeah. I think this is the first time we've been interviewed and since 1989, like together. Right. Yeah. yeah, oh, absolutely. Barry Harris and Kevin Wynn from ConCan on Behind the Vinyl. I'm Stu Jeffries, and when you think about the Styx ballad, Babe, you think that song was destined for the top of the charts, right? Dennis DeYoung says he never saw it coming. DeYoung drops the needle on Babe on Behind the Vinyl. Well, that what you hear right there? I've written this song not, not for Styx. It was never intended to be a stick song. It was my wife's birthday, um, and I wanted to give her a present for her birthday in lieu of buying jewelry, if you catch my drift. So I wrote this song real quick, and um, I called up John and Chuck Panazzo, the bass player and the drummer in Sticks. The guitar players were off on vacation. I said, I have this song, I want to demo it. I'm just going to give it to her on Reel to Reel for her birthday. And I said, okay. So. We, we show up at the studio, uh, and the grand piano was out of tune, because they'd written on a grand piano. And in the corner was uh, Bobby Whiteside, whoever he is, was his Fender Rhodes, which I'd never even played before. And so they, they rolled it out, <clears throat> and they just rolled tape, and all that noodling in the beginning, I was, I was just noodling around. I wasn't thinking about writing a song to be heard by anyone other than my wife. So there it was, recorded the whole, the track, and um, I sang all the background harmonies because John, uh, because John and Chuck weren't the singers, but J.Y. and Tommy were the singers. So there it was, I did it, mixed it, her birthday party, all the friends and relatives were gathering around and um, surprise! played the song, Real to Real, and all the people went, my relatives, 
uh, the friends there went, oh my God, Dennis, that doesn't suck nearly as much as we thought it would. So I took that as a good sign, considering they're my friends and relatives. So I played for the guys in the band. He said, yeah, that's a good song. Uh, the record company heard it, and they said, we, we'd really like that to be on the album. So then what ensued is what we call demo poisoning, which means you make a demo that's so good, you try to re-record it, you can't capture the magic. So what we did was we kept the demo as is, even with flaws and all, because there seemed to be something that people appreciated. Tommy <clears throat> came in and played this, that guitar solo, and the record you've heard on the radio for the last, I don't know how many years, is the demo, with me singing all the background parts. That's all me, because we were afraid to change it. Um, had I written it for sticks, it would have been a power ballad. There'd been big guitar chords on it because but because the guitar players weren't there and then like I said I had fear of changing it and, and you have people say oh well you screwed it up now you big dummy so that was the song and um, so when I got on the record and the record company said we're going to release it as the first single and it set the record for the most radio stations ever to, to add a record in its first week. It was a, a, a wonderful thing to happen, but like really, like six weeks later, somebody came on and broke the record. But to that, to that date, that happened. And so it went on to be our only number one hit record. And um, it won, won the People's Choice Award of 1980 for best song. And uh, got to go on TV and uh, be in the audience with like, Orson Welles and Jane Fonda and people like that were the People's Choice Awards. Pretty cool. And uh, there it is. It's for many people who, who, who like this kind of stuff, who like those romantic ballads, there's one for you. It's a song about separation and loving someone and missing someone when you have to be away for whatever reason. Babe. Babe, he loves you. That's me imitating Paul McCartney. Didn't work. Thanks. Dennis DeYoung and Babe from Sticks on Behind the Vinyl. And that's going to do it for this episode, but we've got plenty more to bring you. I'm Stu Jeffries. See you next time on Behind the Vinyl. This has been Behind the Vinyl, the podcast. Hosted by Stu Jeffries. Audio production courtesy of Doug Morehouse, Derek Walsman, and Troy McCallum. Thanks for listening. <laughs>